morning, everybody. So good to see you guys again this morning. I will say that uh, I'm going to be a little confessional as we start off this uh, nice day to worship um, together through the Word. We've been worshiping through song. We're going to transition the Word. By the way, while I'm doing this, turn to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series on the dawning of indestructible joy. And uh, I want to be a little confessional because I want to just say something to you. That don't, no, don't, ju- don't judge me. Okay, don't judge me. I want to say something to you that might not be received too well from a pastor, all right? Um, I love Christmas, but I kind of sometimes don't love Christmas season. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes I love Christmas because it reminds me of the birth of our Savior, but I get kind of bah humbug about the whole Christmas season. Is there anybody else in here like that? I know you don't want to raise your hand probably, but there's a few of us. And as closer we get to the, the day of we celebrate Christmas, the, the more it gets that way for me. And this week was a week just kind of fraught and filled with me kind of being short on temper and uh, me being a little bit short on uh, my ability to, uh, what's the word, to love well, probably the right way to say that. And uh, so I I worked really hard at doing that, but what I found is the harder I worked at it, the more difficult it became. Anybody else? The harder you work at trying to find joy and trying to be loving and trying to be caring and patient, the more difficult it becomes most of the time. It seems to keep piling on each other. It's almost like this slippery slope. You keep trying to grab for something to hold on to, and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. You know, you think you get something, I got it now, and then that thing just pops right off, and you keep going downhill. It was a rough week for me. Anybody else have one of those rough weeks? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, well, I'm not, so not going to say good, because that's not good that we had a rough week. But I will say that today we're going to talk about uh, the joy we've been talking about the last two weeks. This week we're going to talk about it in a little bit different way. And uh, I, I want you to understand that this joy that we have in Jesus is actually a joy that is on demand. It's a joy that is on demand. Now, I know we like to watch a lot of things on demand, but this is actually something that really is on demand. And the only reason we could not have this joy, the only reason we could not have what we uh, think we want and what we think we are seeking and what we think we have innately sometimes is because we don't look to the right place to find it. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's going to help us. So I'm here to help you and to help me this morning. Aren't we glad? Yes. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to point us to a place where you can find joy on demand and you can have as much of it as you want. Isn't that good? Yes. Yeah, so we're going to pour into that today. Uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read that for us. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to just start into the notes if you have notes today with us. Uh, we're going to just start right into that. So let me read it for us. For all of us, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father, it is so easy to talk about having joy, and it's easy to act like we have joy and to put a smile on our faces when we come together and when we pass each other. But Lord, it is a different story about what's going on in our hearts a lot of the time. I pray today that you would reveal the path to joy for us in a way that would be seared into our minds and that would be 
uh, fan in the flames of our heart as we yearn for the joy that comes without ever ending and increases the more and more we yearn for it, the more and more we turn to the right places for it. So Lord, please show us the way. Give us a desire for that joy. And Lord, would you change us so that we understand that joy in a way that draws our hearts to love Jesus because he loved us so much that he would give his life for us so that we might have that joy. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've talked about before, I think many of us have had this idea uh, growing up that uh, church is not supposed to be a joyful place. Uh, I remember uh, getting in trouble for running in the halls. Anybody else in trouble for that? I remember getting in trouble for being too loud. Anybody? Uh, I think we've missed the point, though. You never see Jesus getting mad at the kids. They're scrambling to get to him. They're scrambling to to be in his lap and be around him. And the disciples try to stop him. And he gets on to them and and tells them not to do that. Let them come to me and says, you got to be like them. Right? I think we have missed some of this idea of what it means to live a Christian life because we don't understand what it means to live in joy. And that's what this whole series is about. Today, I want to point you to the way in which you can find joy, the place in which you can find joy that is never-ending. It, it is a bottomless depth of joy that you can have. You've got to just keep going back to the right place. And, and the problem is stuff in this world gets kind of really big and, and, and just desirous uh, in our hearts, right? We desire those things in the world, and we get caught up in them. Now, some of those things aren't wrong to desire. It's, it's not wrong to desire your spouse. It's not wrong to desire relationships with friends or family or kids or parents. It's not wrong to desire even things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a few things that you enjoy. The Lord gives us things. He gives us relationships. The problem is we like to put those things in the ultimate place instead of finding our hope and our joy in the one who really is ultimate. And therefore, those things always let us down. And so I want us to look in a text today that's going to help us to understand what it means to find joy. Let me give you our big thesis statement for the day so you can write this down and close your notes if you want, but stay open in the Bibles, right? And here's, here's the, the, the statement I want you to get today that we're going to unpack. Our ultimate joy is demanded and delivered by Jesus. Our ultimate joy is demanded and delivered by Jesus. You could say it this way. Our ultimate joy is demanded by Jesus. That's the weird statement part. And our ultimate joy is delivered by Jesus. Look, let's look at the context here of what's going on. Paul is finishing up a letter that he's writing to the Philippians. He is in prison awaiting the outcome of his trial. He doesn't know what's going to happen from here forward. He's not sure if he's going to be killed, if he's going to be uh, just sentenced to some time in prison, or if he's going to be let go. He's not sure what's going on, certainly, at this point. But we see here at the very end of his letter, he writes, look in verse 2, if you would, and get a little bit of context here. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, this unknown companion, I ask you also to help these women who have labored side by side. A better translation for that would be who have contended side by side, who have fought side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's trying to get these two ladies who have been strong fighters for the gospel Whatever's going on between them, we don't know. Maybe that's a blessing, so we can just assume it could be anything. But he's trying to get them to come together and to, to, to make things good and right. And he asks his fellow companion, we're not sure who that is exactly, to help them do that. And he points them a little bit right there implicitly to the gospel. And right behind that, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And that's a weird statement to make. It's like, y'all need to get your stuff together. You need to get your act together. You need to quit fighting against whether you're contending for the gospel, not contending with one another. That's the idea here, right? And his statement to bring it home is rejoice in the Lord always. That's a statement that I think we will overlook so quickly. We state it. We say it. We know it's in our hearts. We've heard the songs. We know rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, we know that song, right? And we want to tell ourselves that. We walk in that truth. I didn't sing it for you on purpose. You don't want it. But I want you to understand that in this passage, it is filled with imperatives. And that just means it's filled with commands. And this first word is a command. It's not a choice that you just, maybe if you feel like it today, it's a command from the Lord to us through Paul. And he's saying, rejoice. He's demanding, rejoice. Right now, rejoice. It's got the idea that start now and continue on rejoicing. He's telling his two friends, these ladies who are in some kind of disagreement, he said, you need to agree, be of the same mind, right? Uh, fight with one another for the gospel, not fighting against one another. Be of the same mind. Now rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. It's a command. And he says rejoice in the Lord. He said, we can find joy in things, but he's stating the one thing that is going to give them ultimate joy that will draw their hearts back to what's important. He says, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, many of us, right, can find our joy in some things God does for us, but we have a difficult time finding our joy in the one who gave his life for us. That's where the problem comes in. I'm guilty just like the next person. It's so easy to get my eyes off the king. It's so easy to get my eyes off my older brother who gave his life so that we might have eternal life, right? It's so easy to get my eyes off of the one who is the most beautiful of all the universe. It's so quick Do we do that? And he's directing them right back. You've got your eyes off the Savior. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, maybe you've gotten your eyes off the Savior this week. I know I have. And I'm commanding us with Paul and the Holy Spirit, one another, and even to myself. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And how long do we do it for? Always. Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's never ending because we have an ever-living Savior. It's never stopping because he defeated death and rose again, and he's ever living forevermore. And he is going to live forever, and so we have a joy that lives on forever. Rejoice in the Lord, brothers and sisters. Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you missed it, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice. Maybe you weren't listening, right? So rejoice in the Lord and keep on rejoicing always and forever. And again I say rejoice. That's what leads off this whole thing. Now, some commentators think that that this passage is just kind of some last-minute salutation remarks, just thrown in one behind the other. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Now let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Like four little different statements. I don't believe it's four different statements. Some commentators agree with me. I, don't, I wouldn't stand up here by myself. We've got to stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us, right? If I come up with something that's not been thought of in 2,000 years of Christian history, chuck it out the window, <laughs> right? Same for you. You need to check what you believe. If you believe something that doesn't line up with 2,000 years of Christian history, it's probably wrong, all right? Now, I think all of this is hinging on that phrase, rejoice in the Lord. He's got this problem with his friends, and he's directed, he says, rejoice in the Lord. 
because of that, I want to take us down. But first, let me say this, though. We find oftentimes in Scripture, uh, and actually, it, it's more said, if you combine it in the different ways it's stated, it's the most stated command in Scripture, along with do not fear. Okay, that's the negative. Don't fear, rejoice is the positive. Don't fear, rejoice. In fact, in Luke 10, Jesus has got these uh, 72 disciples with him, right? And he sends them out to go do some work and then to come back and report back. It says, the 72 return, return with joy, verse 17 through 20 of Luke 10, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they're casting out demons. I'd be rejoicing to be a part of that, wouldn't you? Says, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Right? That's what we rejoice in. The fact that Jesus has paid the price to make sure that we can be with him forever. That he has died the death that we deserve and has overcome death in our stead. And though he drank down the wrath that we deserve because of our sin, he is now resurrected in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell in our, in our place, beyond what we can imagine, beyond anything we can think of if somebody could do that for us who deserve the wrath. And he drank it down, the only one who never deserved it, so that we could be with him forever. And now our names are written in the book of life because he made it possible. Because he made it possible. Now, that being the case, that's something to rejoice in. Not that you are a mature Christian, not that you are a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, or not because you are a, a leader, not because even you're the leader in your home. You can be rejoicing at what God's doing in you and through you, but we rejoice in Jesus. That's what we rejoice in. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 97, 12 Psalm 32, 11. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Man, if we lived by the commands of Scripture about how to rejoice, this place would get kind of loud. This room's pretty live, right? Hear that? Imagine if we actually shouted for joy because we are overwhelmed with joy, because we are so focused on the Savior and what he's done for us. And as we gather together, we worship, and it overwhelms us with the grace and mercy we've been given in Jesus. And we were to sing out with everything. We were to shout for joy. Uh, we think that's only there for the Pentecostal folks. It's not, brothers and sisters. It's for all of us, too. And when's the last time that you shouted out of the victory of Jesus? When's the last time you were overwhelmed with your joy in Christ and it just led you to speak out in a loud voice? When's the last time you sang out in those ways, giving thanks to his holy name? That's a question. What, why don't we do that? That's, that's part of your homework. Pray this week and ask the Lord, why am I not overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord? Reveal to me what's hindering me. Maybe you're afraid how others would see you or think about you because you're in the middle of Walmart when you do it. <laughs> Maybe you're worried that if you just kind of let go, it would get crazy in your mind, right? Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Rejoice in the Lord always. Shout for joy, are you upright in heart. For 
Rejoice the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice. Listen, I'm going to give you just a few points here that go along to back this up. I think this goes right into it. He's still talking about rejoicing. He says, then let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, that's a strange word. In fact, I don't like the translation very much. That word reasonable, it's hard to translate from the Greek. So you have different translations, use different words. Uh, they use words like charitableness, gentleness, graciousness, forbearance. They use all kinds of other words. When you put them all together, you kind of get a bigger picture, right? Most people like the word gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Uh, I think the reason we can understand this is that the more you find joy in Jesus, the more reasonable you'll become. You hear me? The more you find joy in Jesus, that's next in your notes if you're writing them down. Some of you are going to ask me for that later. The more you find joy in Jesus, the more reasonable you'll become. Now, I want you to hear me when I say this. Oftentimes, we get bent out of shape over things, and we get kind of something stuck in our crawl that really isn't a big deal, but we make it a big deal because we get things out of perspective. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got on to my kids a lot in the last couple of days. I got a lot of repenting to do the next few days. And really, it wasn't big deals. But my eyes were off of Jesus. But when you set your eyes on the Lord, you become a lot more reasonable, a lot more gentle, a lot more gracious and giving and forgiving. Right? If we just set our eyes on Jesus, rejoice in the Lord. If we just rejoiced in the Lord, stopped and said, but wait a minute, Remember, I was damned because of my sinfulness. But Jesus came and died for me on the cross so that I could be with him forever. Amen. That's a great thing. Amen. Yeah? yeah that's a great thing. If I rejoiced in that, I wouldn't be so worried about the little things and how little they become when they're set before the glory of the king. Right? And even when you're weak, when you feel like you don't have it, if you just ask the Lord to help you rejoice, Lord, Lord, draw my heart. Show me what Christ did for me. Remind me of what you did by giving your son to me. When you lean into him and ask for that, he will become your strength. Nehemiah talks about it. So Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, in Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, they said, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to be strong, rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say rejoice. We are weak. We are broken. We are frail. We are, we are, we are marred with sin. But in Christ we find strength. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, right? Rejoice in the Lord, always. Let me say this to you. Look at the verses again, verse 4 and on. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonless be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look at that again. The Lord's at hand, the end of verse 5. The Lord's at hand. He's reminding them. I think it could be one of two ways. I kind of want to say he's doing both. The Lord's at hand. Any day now, he could be coming back. His time is at hand, right? We don't know when. It could be any moment. It could be in a moment's notice, right? The time is at hand. 
But he says the Lord is at hand. The person is at hand. Jesus is present with us by his Holy Spirit, dwelling within us. He was with us. He is at hand, right? He says the Lord is at hand. Look, look, look right behind it. Do not be anxious about anything. What are we worried about, folks? We have the Lord. He lives within us. He's made the way. Why are we worrying about what's going to happen to this or what's going to happen here or there? Why are we concerned about those things? Why are we so fretful about things that we can't control anyway? And, and that definitely the Lord does control. He is sovereign. He owns it all. It's all His. He set all things in motion before the foundation of the world was ever in place. He had already set things to be. This God is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. The contrary is, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that means asking from him, with thanksgiving, that's how we should pray, with thanksgiving. Your prayer should be overwhelmed with thanksgiving statements to the Lord. Right? Season with thanksgiving. That's the proper posture in prayer. It's like you've got the guy, the Pharisee, praying all these things. Thanks, I'm not like that guy. He prays that. And that guy says, thankfully, Lord, that you saved me, a sinner. Right? To the depths of our depravity, you look and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Right? Thankfulness. Look, he says, by prayer and supplication and everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. That's another one of those imperatives. Let your request be made known to God. Don't be anxious. That's a command. And here again, tell God what you need. Tell God what you want. Supplicate him. Go to him. Let him know what they are. Not that he doesn't know. A father wants you to come to him and request the things that you want or think you need. Do it with thanksgiving. I'll say it like this. This will be your second point if you're taking notes, right? The more joy you find in Jesus, the less worried you'll be with the world. The more joy you find in Jesus, the less worried you will be with the world. It's just the way it works. You take, you take a moment and think about the times in recent past that you have been overwhelmed with worry or distraught or fretful, and think about that and think, was my heart set on the Lord rejoicing in Him? I guarantee you not. You may believe the truths that were there. You may know that. But where you rejoice, that's an experiential thing you do. It's a commanding thing you do. You're to rejoice in Him. So if you're rejoicing, you don't have enough to be that worried. Look, you can go read Matthew 6, 25 through 33 for a little extra reading, right? Be reminded where at the end He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about your life, remember? There's nothing to worry about because Jesus has purchased you on the cross. You are his. If you put your faith and hope in him, that's because he purchased you on the cross. He has paid for your soul. He has paid for you fully, mind, body, soul, heart, everything to be his, to be with him forever. There's nothing to be fretful about in that. You may say, well, I'm scared for my loved ones. Well, then go to him with thanksgiving, by prayers and supplication. Go to him and rejoice in the Lord. He loves them way more than you could ever love them. He created them. He has more love than we can imagine. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. 
Look at this. Keep going in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, what happens is the more joy you find in Jesus, the more you'll rely on the grace of God. The more joy you find in Jesus, here's the third point, the more you'll rely, the more you'll rely on the grace of God. This is not a suggestion again. It's a command, right? It's a command. This is what we do. The more you find your joy in Jesus, the more you will want to run to your Father for anything and everything. The more that you find your hope, your joy, your, your satisfaction in Him, the more you'll go to Him for everything because He is the one that owns it all and has it all and gives it all. He's the only one. He may do it through others and through different means, but He's the author and the giver of everything. Right? And the more you'll go to Him in that way. Listen to these psalms. The psalmist says, Psalm 40, 1 through 3, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock. For us, that's Jesus, right? He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He's basically saying that I was lost and I've been found on the solid footing that is the Messiah to come. That's what he's saying. And for us, the one who has come, Jesus, right? And he has put a new song in his mouth and he will speak of the praise to God for his glorious grace and giving him that. And it says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord because of what he's singing, because of what he's saying. I think one of the biggest reasons why churches don't have people coming to them in droves is because we don't look like we're very happy about knowing Jesus. I don't just mean look. I mean, we, don't, we aren't very happy about it most of the time. If we were filled with joy in Jesus, rejoicing in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, we wouldn't have to beg people to come to church with us. They would want what we have because we have Jesus and we're overwhelmed with him. The problem is, is that we're, we're underwhelmed with him. And it's not because he's not good enough to be overwhelming. It's because we set our eyes on something else. It's we set our hearts on something else. It's time, brothers and sisters, we repent and rejoice in the Lord always. When's the last time you heard that, right? Repent and rejoice in the Lord. Repent from being dreary. Repent from not being excited about it. Repent from not being joyous. Repent from not being happy. Don't be saved and mad about it. Be saved and rejoice, right? Rejoice in the Lord. And you should give your spouses, your kids, yes, I said your kids, and your friends and your parents and your family, you should give them permission to kind of whack you in the rear end to get your attention when you're not rejoicing in the Lord. We need one another, brothers and sisters. We're not made to do it alone. So I'm telling you now, when I look like I'm not happy and rejoicing in the Lord, you're, you're, please don't physically kick me. But, <laughs> but come up and please just say, hey, where's the joy, Right? I'm going to get really mad if I'm already mad, and then I'll repent, and I'll say, you're right, and I'll try to rejoice in the Lord. You know what the beauty thing, beautiful thing is? I don't have to do anything within my heart to muster it up. All I need to do is ask the Lord to reveal himself to me. Ask him to overwhelm me with his overwhelming nature, and he will draw our hearts to him. It's so funny, right? One of my kids will go unnamed. He struggles so much with, with repenting from stubbornness. He doesn't get it from my side. 
He is so stubborn. He doesn't want to quit. And what's so crazy is that even when it's the best thing for him, right? Like, hey, brother, if you will just, if you will just stop being stubborn, you can go in here and get some cake, you know? And he will not do it even though he wants that cake so bad, you know? Sometimes we like being mad. We like being upset. We like being depressed. We like being in a pitiful place. The Lord is waiting. It's not like he can't do anything, but he, he, he's a father that loves, and he wants you to just turn back to him, and he wants to make his sun shine in your life and in your eyes. Turn to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Timothy talks about it. Paul talks about it to Timothy. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Lastly, I'll say it first, and then we'll read it. The more joy you find in Jesus, the more peace you'll find in your heart and mind. The more joy you find in Jesus, the more peace you'll find in your heart and mind. Look, verse 7. He says all this stuff, verse 4, 5, and 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, and here's what happens, and next thing, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to defeat the sin that you struggle with defeating so bad? You want to defeat the sin that's like your pet sin that you just can't quit doing or can't give up? You want to get over the things that keep drawing you away from the Lord, that keep making you not be the husband you want to be, that keep stop you from being the wife you want to be or the parent you want to be or the child you want to be. You want to get over those things? Listen, when you do these things, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you rejoice in the Lord, your mind and your heart will be guarded from living in the sin that you hate. Just turn and rejoice in the Lord. When you, you, there's not enough room in your heart. Let me, let me talk about it this way. The old day guys call it mortification and vivification. That's your big $10 words for the day, right? The, the Puritans talked about it like this. When you set your eyes on Jesus, okay, this is how you kill your sin. John Owen said, better be killing your sin before your sin be killing you. Right? The way you defeat your sin is you set your eyes on Jesus. And you're overwhelmed with his beauty and it pushes out the desire for sin because you have a desire for him now. So when you're struggling with that sin, you're struggling with those things, you're struggling with that anger, you're struggling with all those things in you that you don't like, just turn to the Lord. And don't just say, take it away. Don't do that. Turn to him and say, Lord, overwhelm me with your grace as it's found in Jesus. Remind me of what he did for me on the cross. Remind me how he already defeated this sin. Remind me of how he loved me so much that he died for me, even though I, right now I yearn for something besides him. Remind me of that. Fill me with that. And he will overwhelm you with that desire as you stare into the face of Jesus. And he'll kick out the desire for anything that's other than him. And you will find joy in the Lord that overwhelms, that defeats sin, that draws your heart in, that helps you to be the person that God created you to be. The more you preach the gospel to yourself, the more peace you will experience in Christ. You can't just preach the gospel to yourself by listening to a preacher once a week or a Sunday school teacher on the second time of the week 
It can't happen though. You've got to preach the gospel to yourself. Ask the Lord, remind yourself, speak it out. Memorize scripture of the gospel and repeat it to yourself as you ask the Lord to fill you with knowledge of it. Listen, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, Paul does it right here. He says, he is, the, if you want to memorize one, this is a great one, okay? Six verses. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In everything, including our thoughts, including our lives, including our hearts, including our relationships, including our friendships, including our jobs, including everything that we do. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, listen to this, this is the part that's beautiful, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He made peace possible on the cross for us. You want peace in your heart? Come to Jesus. You want to experience the love that changes everything? Come to Jesus. You want to see sacrifice that was for you so that you could be brought into the family of God? Come to Jesus. And now he becomes our peace more and more when we find our joy more and more in him. So rejoice, brothers and sisters. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let our hearts be turned to the Lord. Rejoice in him, brothers. Rejoice in him, sisters. Let us give our lives to him because he gave his life for us. And let us rejoice and give everything we have because he gave everything for us on the cross. Rejoice, brothers. Rejoice, sisters, in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, you alone are worthy of the glory. You alone are worthy. You alone can bring us joy that overwhelms and satisfies. Give us the joy that's found in Jesus, your Son. It'll help us to rejoice in the Lord Jesus always. In his name we ask these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.